Welcome to A Voyage to Antarctica. I'm Alok Jha. This week we're doing something a little different. I'm speaking to three unique contemporary artists. Peter Liversidge, Lucy Orter and Mark Rees, all of whom have been invited to make a new work inspired by Antarctica for the UK Antarctic Heritage Trust's Antarctica Insight programme. to know how Antarctica has influenced their work and understand why the icy continent has been a particularly inspiring place for so many artists, even before the first sighting 200 years ago. My name is Lucy Otter and I'm a visual artist, but I work together with um, Jorge, who's my husband and partner since the early 1990s. And um, together we've uh, been tackling, I guess, all kinds of key social and ecological challenges through our practice as artists. And uh, we've created all kinds of artworks that explore um, issues, themes, for example, water scarcity, climate change and loss of biodiversity. My name is Mark Reeser and I, I live in Cardiff and I'm an interdisciplinary artist and I mainly focus on site-located community, resp- uh, community responsive work, a sort of immersive theatre really. My name's Peter Liversidge and I, uh, I start all projects with proposals so I write descriptions of work in relation to each and every project so every project is unique. Can you give me a couple of examples? Um, so for, for this particular project, Antarctica in Mind, what kinds of things have you come up with? One of them was that I proposed to build from snow and ice a group of Easter Island type heads on the island of Port Lockroy. The heads would be slightly closer to effigies and would all face north. This is um, again a description for work which would be actually, well I'll describe it to you. I propose to add a spoken word piece to all the sat-navs currently in use around the world. The text will be spoken in the same voice of all other instructions that are given by the satnav. The text will read, currently the poles are melting. The text will be delivered to the driver at the start and the end of each each and every journey. And so in that way, that work just exists as a set, you know, as an an abstract sense or or idea. Tell me about your work for the Antarctica Insight programme. What what kinds of um, artwork are you developing there? So for me, it's like without giving it away, because it it is very much about whale song. And it's a kind of sonic SOS to draw attention to their plight and the plight of the planet. Um, And I have a very good friend of mine who's the writer, Philip Hoare. I don't know if you know him. He he wrote the book Leviathan and The Sea Inside and Rising Tide, Falling Star, fantastic books. I mean, he is so knowledgeable about kind of marine life. I mean, whales especially. Uh, And also um, I met his friend Chris Watson, who is an ex-Cabaret Voltaire member and is David Attenborough's main sound man. So I knew that I could access kind of, you know, authentic sounds of whale song recorded in Antarctica. So I'm working with him. I've commissioned a text from Philip about kind of whale song and about Antarctica that then Keris Matthews will read and that will appear by magic in different places. It's the kind of like sonic takeover or multi-city podcast, excuse the pun, 
And and for me, it was really important. I mean, obviously, the whales are really important. And I've learned so much from Philip. I mean, because, you know, in the 20th century, we killed three million great whales. And, you know, majority of 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 that was in the Southern Ocean of the Antarctica. And, and what's really interesting is, you know, the sheer removal of that biomass, you know, from then the still unpolluted, unplasticized oceans probably accelerated climate, you know, the climate breakdown. And, and if you think of, you know, movement, political, you know, climate movements, say the way was massive in the 70s. And in a way, it is a precursor. It's the direct ancestor of the Extinction Rebellion. So it's so interesting as, as the whales are, are so symbolic to that plight. And especially their song is so heartfelt and it, everybody knows that sound no matter what. So I think if you play that, if you hear that somewhere incongruous, if you're walking down the street and you know what it's about. <laughs> Yeah, we've been invited by the Antarctic uh, Heritage Trust to create a new edition of the Antarctica World Passport and to distribute this throughout the UK during the Antarctic um, Bicentennial. And um, in order to do that, we want to create um, a format that will allow the general public to learn more about uh, the issues relating to Antarctica um, and very important ones like um, the sea level rise and the danger of climate change affecting the Antarctic com continent. And also linked to our project, the wider themes of migration. Of course, we know that uh, uh, many more people in the future are likely to be displaced because of environmental disasters than they are because of conflict. So these two issues side by side are something that we wish to kind of draw attention to through the Antarctic Passport Project. So the installation will be a passport office that we'll, um, we'll make using reclaimed materials, very similar to the kinds of passport offices that we've um, taken all the way around the world to date. And um, from this passport office, we'll be able to distribute these passports. We're hoping to print another 15,000 copies. So we'll be almost up to 100,000 copies of passports and uh, use that as a, a forum for discussion. So a place that people can come to. And I think um, post-confinement, post-lockdown, post-COVID pandemic, all kinds of issues of identity, nationality, of movement, movement across borders will be even more important to, to discuss in the future. So um, it can provide, we hope that this artwork can, can provide um, a discursive platform in a way, in a, in a different format, of course, because it's art. And uh, there's a kind of neutrality behind art. And we know we're not, we're not promoting any political party, we're not promoting any political ideals, but this, in a sense, this neutrality can help bring people together, we hope. Because it was the 200th anniversary of the discovery of Antarctica as a continent, and we were looking to work with 200 primary schools and primary school children. We provide them with um, watercolours and watercolour paper. And the watercolours would be, and uh, Windsor and Newton, who's, who actually supplied the original watercolours on Scott's expedition, sets of watercolours that were based on the potential colourways of um, uh, icebergs. And as you know, watercolour paint needs to be activated by water. So very uh, uh, luckily, uh, the British Antarctic 
survey collected icebergs for me, which are now in in uh, quarantine in uh, in Cambridge, and that water will be given to these two hundred schools and the sixty children per school. They will be given uh, meltwater from icebergs to activate the watercolours. And what we would ask them to do is make paintings using that iceberg water and the watercolours to make paintings of what they imagine icebergs look like. So tell me about Antarctica. What is it about Antarctica that's particularly inspired you? I think for me, Antarctica, when they first approached me to commission me and I was like, oh, wow, you know, of course, I have thought about Antarctica, especially of late, as it's, you know, such a key kind of important thing to consider as it is melting. And of course, it is so prescient in terms of what's happening, you know, globally with the climate change. So it's it's all in our minds. And in a way, it's come back into focus because I was thinking about this, because during lockdown, everything has become kind of micro and close up and kind of claustrophobic and kind of that thought of this kind of white vastness of this kind of like huge plane and sort of like um was sort of inspired me in a way so I kept on kind of thinking it as a place kind of reflection into with that kind of emptiness in a way because as a contrast to where I'm at now which is so close and so um intimate so it's kind of inspiring really in a sense of that kind of vastness and in terms of able to kind of um let your ideas kind of go. I mean, I've never been there. This is all in my head, right? Gonna, you know, imagine in my imagination, but hopefully one day I will go there. So it was really interesting to to create a contemporary response to mark the 200th anniversary and how I could create something which would draw attention to it and to the, of course, you know, to the plight of the planet. Because I don't think currently, you know, as a contemporary artist, like you have to address that because otherwise, you know, it's our responsibility. We have a responsibility, you know, for, for the future, for the future of the younger generation, etc. So that's why this was a real opportunity to do that as well. Well, Jorge was um, invited to represent Argentina in 1995 at the International Art Biennale in Venice, the Venice Biennale, as it was called then. And um, he wanted to explore a very long term project using the Antarctic Treaty as uh, the starting point to reflect on um, a community that would come together under the um, the ambitions of the Antarctic Treaty, I would say. So for us, this treaty was um, a really important symbol, something that we could work towards um, in terms of creating a new community, maybe a utopia that would become real. And um, well, we thought that the continent, you know, as it was so extreme, it, it imposes this um, mutual aid and solidarity and freedom of research and sharing and collaboration for the good of the planet. So all of these ideals were really, really important for us at that time. But it wasn't actually until 2007 that we had the opportunity as a team at Studio Auto to be invited to go to Antarctica and um, it was the occasion of the end of the world biennial, which was taking place in Ushuaia, um, which is the, one of the air bases that is closest to the Antarctic continent. So we used this opportunity to actually travel there. The team traveled there and we staged an ephemeral, if you like, performance or installation in Antarctic. 
and the performance took the took the form of uh, an installation of a, a, a village, um, a tent village. We call them dome dwellings. So around 50 dome dwellings were installed across the continent with the help of the scientists at the Morambio Antarctic base. Why do you think art has a, an important role to play in, in telling the story of Antarctica? It can point out things that, that aren't, you know, that are, that are possibly, it points out the, the sort of subtleties as well as the obvious and the less straightforward things. You know, the things that you could see if you read, um, you know, uh, any historic document or looked at the watercolours or, or thought of, Antarctica in the abstract. It can just point out, perhaps it can, you know, if, if, if Antarctica had corners, it could point out the corners. It could point out those things that are, are not necessarily immediately obvious, or perhaps the more obvious things, like the poles are melting, in a way that's, that just gets you to think about it. And it's not about necessarily immediately changing someone's opinion or mind or, or um, you know, perspective of a place, but it's just making them think about it in a way that it might be a slight deviation. You know, it's like taking a B road instead of the motorway. You know, you just have this trip that takes you somewhere. You still get to the same place and perhaps your mind isn't changed, but equally on that deviation, you might get a totally different view or vista along, you know, what you were thinking about, or maybe not. We certainly believe and have even been able to test this that art can help raise awareness. Um, it can help translate complex scientific inf information into formats that can reach audiences um, in the ways that data and statistics can't. And um, we've seen that art, different art formats have a capacity to trigger emotional responses to touch people in different ways. Um, we've tested this through the experience of seeing, of listening to, touching and participating in something. So feeling part of something, feeling enveloped, embodied by uh, an artistic form. So um, certainly, yes, uh, art has a role to play. I think, well, I mean, in my work itself, I often kind of shed new light on history, on pieces of history on a building. You know, I often describe myself as a, an archaeologist exhuming a multi-layered history of a site and then unearthing kind of fragments of either, you know, fossils of fact or fiction. And then I pass them on to artists or members of the community to deduce and reinterpret and reimagine. And then I, I kind of, uh, what I do then is, is that rediscovered material is then moulded into a composite portrait of a place. So um, for an audience to encounter as an immersive experience. So, uh, so I think, you know, so it's 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 looking at that that history that heritage in a different way and and yeah presenting it in 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 new forms. So I think this is an opportunity. People might think, oh, heritage boring, or they know the history of Antarctica, but there's so much. I mean, I went up to Dundee for the first time and went to the you know on board the, the Discovery. It is the Discovery, isn't it? Yeah. So so the, so the Captain Scott's uh, ship, and it was extraordinary. But also just to learn how reliant Dundee was on the whaling industry and that connection, and it made the city, and it was ex extraordinary. They didn't realise that so many whales had been killed, but that was an integral part of of their survival, and that was their income, and you know, etc. So it was sort of that was a profound, really. Uh, so therefore, it's an opportunity to. Yeah, to, to, sh to, to shed light on, on, on history differently, to present in a different way. And I think that's exciting because often people 
think you know oh, history is boring or heritage is dull but it, it's it's super exciting to 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 reimagine it or present it in a, in a different way can i ask you a whales something that you've been interested in throughout your life is it i mean is there, is there sort of a, a boyhood fascination with whales I think well, I I've always was fascinated during the seventies. I mean, I was born in the sixties, so I can you know remember save the world and being you know thinking God, this is really important that you know it should be involved in, and was fascinated by it. And of course, by you know watching the documentaries, you know, and, and David you know, with David Attenborough. Um, so it's something that wasn't actually at the forefront of my mind, but it was always there, knowing that it was really important. But it's since meeting Philip really, and he's so eloquent. And articulate and passionate about those mammals that you, it's infectious. This was an opportunity to, to create, you know, a contemporary response that hopefully would resonate with other people by using something very basic and pri- primal as kind of whale song and working with Philip, who is an you know absolute kind of expert. And he did write. I mean, I spoke to him yesterday. He did write something, and I can I could read that out if you like. He's 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 written something you know for us for this kind of podcast. Do you mind if I if I read it? Please do. Their fate resounds in their song. The glorious thing about being a whale is that they live in a sensorial world of sound. They feel vibrations with their gigantic bodies. Lacking hands and fingers and living and feeding in sometimes pitch black conditions, sight is of little use to them. Sound is tactile to them, a physical internet of expression that they perceive using their sonar. Sensing one another around each other, they feel communally, orally connected. It's their ESP, their water telepathy. It is their culture. Just one final question which we've asked to all our interviewees. Why does Antarctica matter to you? I think Antarctica matters to me because it's always, it's something, I think those sort of seared images from when I was, you know, 10, 11 at primary school, maybe slightly younger, and that sort of heroic sense of, it felt like a, it felt more of a frontier to me than the moon. It felt more abstract and more non-existent because obviously, you know, I could be in my back garden in Lincolnshire when I was growing up in the middle of nowhere and I'd look up into the sky and I'd see the moon. But I could only see Antarctica through books or through descriptions in in books. And, you know, any photograph is still just a 2D rendering of a physical environment or a, or a thing. And it's only the way that that thing or physical environment reflects light. So in that way, it's that sort of the imagining space that you get with something that is so unknown. I think Antarctica matters to me because it is the lifeblood of the planet. I think just to go back to what, you know, David Attenborough was saying that, you know, we need to, you know, we need to protect it, we need to preserve it, we need to look after it, uh, you know, uh, the, the balance, you know, in order to, 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 to restore that equilibrium within the planet. So, I mean, that's, that's why it is so important. And, I've, you know, and, and because it's the main habitat of, of, of the whales and discover how whales are so important to, to the whole ecology, learning that from Philip I think that you know that's why it's it's so important and that's why I agreed to 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 do this commission uh and uh to make something that you know spoke to people and drew people's attention to it 
given that we are marking this occasion of the 200th anniversary of the discovery of Antarctica, you know, what have we done in the last 200 years? What have we done? What can we do to change that mindset or that 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 disconnection? How can we reconnect with the natural world? It's is is vital for our future and the future of of the younger generation. It matters um, because this the Antarctic continent in our imaginary and I think in the imaginary of many people is this immaculate whiteness, this immaculate continent of uh, ice sheets, and in a sense, this whiteness, this immaculate. Um, ideal contains all the wishes of humanity and um, it, it matters so much for us because it's a, it, it can help spread this message of hope for future generations. A Voyage to Antarctica was presented by me, Alok Jha. It was produced by Jessica Norman with Ben Hewis as digital producer. Music was composed by Alec Hughes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. A Voyage to Antarctica is part of the UK Antarctic Heritage Trust's Antarctica Insight programme, celebrating and reflecting on the past 200 years of human endeavour across this fascinating continent. The UK Antarctic Heritage Trust is the charity championing the public understanding of and engagement with Antarctica. You can find out more at www.uk aht.org. Next time I'll be talking to Professor Klaus Dodds about Antarctica's potentially precarious future and what we can all do to protect it. See you next week.